Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. Well, here we go, as the song said, Tony, uh, and I don't know that we've mentioned this, but we are thankful to our friends at Seats Family Worship for uh, letting us make use of their song, and they make good stuff there, so check them out if you haven't. And we interviewed Jason Hauser from Seeds, so um, yeah, check out their ministry, check out that episode. But Tony, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing well, so enjoying the afternoon. I had uh, some recording of some kids' videos, so I've got a lot of production work today, one might say. How about you, Ben? Uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty well. I, I too, have gotten into a lot of production work the last you know six months, video editing and such. Uh, I'm glad that some of that's going to be coming to an end. We talked about doing some other things, uh, just not nearly on the scale, just some little tidbits throughout the week or, or once a week or something. I don't know. We'll see. But I am glad that that's not going to be the staple anymore. So, Tony, I know you know we, we often start off talking about baseball and – the, what are we in the last week of the season? I think something like that. We're here at the end. Yeah. And in in baseball, there are there are two sides of the ball. There are you know you're either playing offense or you're playing defense. In football, there is kind of this uh, this tertium quid, you know this this uh, third position where you're you're on special teams and you kick the ball off and then you're you're on offense and then you're suddenly on defense. So we won't use that. But in most sports. You know, if you're playing a team sport, your your team has the ball or you don't have the ball, right? Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I yeah. wouldn't even count special teams in uh, football because those guys get paid like nine bucks an hour if they're special teams <laughs> <laughs> specialists. I heard Trent Dilfer joke that you know the kickers they just like sat around and shopped on the home shopping network or something, and then went out there and kicked every now and then. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there is it's very. It's clear that's that's how you you play the game, um, and yet for most of history, at least that I've read and of cultures that I'm familiar with, that has been how we have viewed uh, sex and gender. That there are two of them, male yeah. or female, man and woman. Um, now, though, there is a lot more variety, and going past Baskin Robbins in, in the uh, the you know numbers that you could choose um do you know I, I i haven't looked i saw something from 2014 but maybe you know an updated number but how many gender options there are on facebook i am not aware of that so okay so i've heard 78 i've also seen an article from abc news uh citing 58 that they could find so um there was all kinds of things on there um, and there's a, an author, you probably know his name, but Owen Strand, he's a yep. theologian. Uh, he wrote, and I think this just says it well, there is no area of modern public life that more exposes the lack of theistic thinking or even simple common sense living than our handling of the sexes. And I, I think that is well said. Um, now, talking about the, uh, the gender uh, options like Facebook has – do you know what gender fluid is? Yeah, so I've done some research on that, and I've become more aware 
on this topic uh, in the past couple of years for various reasons. Another word for gender fluid is sometimes uh, gender queer. Although anything with these kind of di- with these kind of uh, definitions, like there's debates on what's a synonym and what's not a synonym. Uh, but gender fluid is generally someone whose gender identity changes back and forward. At least that's the uh, understanding of it I read. Uh, it could, again, with these topics, it often things evolve and they change and they, uh, they're reinterpreted. So I perhaps you have a different definition of it than that. Uh, no, and I'm not going to. I can't speak authoritatively on that matter. And and I want to make clear, too, like our point here is not to ridicule. Now, I mean, both of us would definitely agree that there are male and female, but it is something that is clearly under assault in our culture. But I have a genuine level of empathy for someone who is confused about something that is so basic to our being yeah. um, or an individual's being, whether they are a man or a woman. That I mean, that is saddening to me that someone would be that conflicted and have that kind of inner turmoil. So we're not trying to make fun, um, but we do want to talk about the topic of gender and um, I how parents at the church should handle it. I think your prefacing that is extremely important, by the way, because I think sometimes we lack any compassion. Uh, Christians do as we navigate this topic, and we can be, you know, uh, that people criticize Christians as being homophobes or transphobes mm-hmm. and. Sometimes the criticism is because we are homophobes and transphobes. I think you're right. And the church has gotten better about this over the years, I think, by God's grace. But it's one of those – and I think part of that is out of uh, lack of identification. Most people in the church know what it's like to experience greed or just lust generally or anger uh, things like that, being tempted to sin like that, whereas this area, admittedly, it's a small segment of the population that struggles with gender dysphoria uh, or even homosexual desire, same-sex attraction. And so if one can't identify with it, it's very easy to start throwing stones because it's like, oh, what, what's wrong with you? And so, I mean, that's just our our fallen nature um, runs to justify itself. And so... There we are. So, Tony, why do you think gender is such an issue of confusion and conflict today in our culture? I thought about this some, and I've heard different responses from different people uh, because this is really like a unique to our culture thing. Uh, yeah, and, Saudi Arabia, they're not having this discussion. Really, no, and, and again, they also did not have this discussion essentially at all. I mean, there's really no voices historically about this until relatively <laughs> recently. Uh, and I think the Western world today, freedom and identity trumps everything else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think those are the overriding values of our society, freedom and identity and, and a sense of, uh, of our identity. Uh, and so I think we have a warped idea of tolerance as well. We think that uh, you know tolerance means accepting everything possible uh, rather than the idea of allowing people to have the freedom of, of practicing something even that we, we disagree with. I also think there's a lot of scientific misinformation out there on this topic. Uh, actually, mm-hmm. an example of that would be several years ago. I remember my wife. I uh, used to watch this, sh- like the show Bones, and I'd watch it with her sometime. And there was an episode actually where uh, there was this pastor. Actually, they found the body of, and you know, parents that maybe skip this part for kids. And essentially, the body was split in half uh, when it was killed, and uh, they found and they identified 
they identified that they had basically the same DNA. So it was like the same person, but they identified male chromosomes in one part of the body and female chromosomes in the in the other half. Like, what, and they were trying to figure out how how two people have the same DNA. And then, but like that is, a, and so basically it became a, a transgender thing. And that is completely uh, ignorant of any science of how our genetics work, even remotely, like, and how chromosomes exist. So, uh, so I think that that, the fact that that can pass through every level of TV production and go on as like a scientific information on a show shows how much scientific misinformation that we often have related to gender. Well, it's kind of like the mainstream media's knowledge of the Bible where I forget how many years ago it was not all that long ago. The New York times uh, published something around Easter saying, you know, clarifying that Easter was the annual celebration Christians had of Jesus's resurrection or his, his ascension into heaven. Um, yeah. passed through editorial stuff and no one caught it. I think you're right though. Some of the things that we have going on too, I just idolatry of self, which is tied to what you're talking about and the idol of sexuality. And that's seen as this ultimate expression of, of who you are as an individual and your freedom. And ultimately we're trying to be in the place of God and to make ourselves in the image that we've determined would make us happy. Interestingly, I, we've, got a number of doctors in our church and i was talking separately to to two of them and they they care for some transgendered patients and they said that you can just tell i mean they're we we did an episode about depression and just the lack of contentment and struggle that they have is very real and so uh, undergoing a surgery that would you know quote gender reassignment surgery it didn't change their biology and and ultimate and i've seen statistics on this that it does not uh the emotional outcomes um, don't get better how many genders are there just to be clear and is gender just a social construct there are two genders and the reason why there are two genders is because it's not because a father can pass down either his X or his Y chromosome. I mean, I'd say from a biblical because God made man and woman, but that is manifested in science from the fact that just genetically each parent passes down a chromosome and a mother has to have two X chromosomes and a dad can either want do one of two chromosomes pass down a y or an x chromosome and if they have a y chromosome they're a male and if they have two x's they're a female so that i mean i to me that's all animals work that way uh but you know people might bring up like that there are cases that some people have two x's and one y uh and there are other related the issues with that kind of genetics but those things those those chromosomal issues are exceedingly rare genetic abnormalities and most of which leads you to be uh, unable to have children and suggesting that this justifies transgender uh, and multiple more than two genders is like suggesting there is no correct number of human hands because it is legitimately possible to have a genetic issue that you have one hand. And uh, <laughs> I'll also I will say though the two two genders are not merely two sexes. Uh, as uh, and sometimes because some people will acknowledge that yeah there are two sexes but they're more than two genders. 
but because the reality is that our genes indelibly impact our biology. Uh, you cannot separate sometimes the social from the biological aspect of it. I mean, there's a reason why uh, some of these uh, gender roles are, are tied to the science. Some gender roles are social constructs for sure. I mean, there's nothing and scientific about why why women in America prefer pink and men don't oftentimes. But, mm -hmm. you know, some as but when you look at gender uh, attributes, gender categories in these things, some of these are actually products of a binary genders. Uh, the majority, I think, of gender roles, as we've understood that have frankly been caused by the binary aspects of gender. I mean, from decisions about who farms to decisions about, you know, who stays home with the children. Uh, because, you know, only one gender can have children. Although, again, I'm not trying to be sexist, and we'll get into some of that, uh, but a lot of these constructs are tied deeply into biology. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I, neither one of us nursed any of our children. Um, just wouldn't work out. No. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good point. So is this really um, a theological issue or is it just a social or a political issue? I think it's absolutely a theology issue because gender relates to all levels of the theology triage we've talked about. You know, it relates to essentials of the gospel. It relates to secondary issues and even third third rank issues. I, I think this is so important that God designed because God designed man and woman marriage to display the gospel. God designed marriages between a man and woman to display the gospel. So we don't get that man and woman is the nature of humanity. We fail to grasp that image of the gospel. Uh, and I think also, you know, you re relate to secondary issues, ecclesiology, theology of the church. You have to be able to say, can a woman teach? Uh, can the woman be a pastor if they think they aren't a woman? Uh, if they identify as not a woman. So that's theology, of course. Uh, and uh, and ultimately, then we look at is God's creation originally uh, that really truly originally good, and that's a theology question because God said it was good when God created two genders. What do you yeah. think? What theology issues relate to this? Do you? Well, I think you nailed them. Um, yeah, I mean, it deals with God's creator order, and uh, and it is it, it does relate very much to the gospel because. Um, gender is not exclusively about marriage, but it is very much intertwined with marriage in a way that we should not and, and must not uh, twist apart. And and so and that's aside from the, the political part of that and how that should be handled. Uh, but true marriage in God's eyes is between one man and one woman. And like you said, marriage is about Christ and his church and about the gospel and God's glory. And that is a really, really big deal in the Bible. And so um, it, that's not something you can disagree on and be in the same local church, uh, you know, that and, and the, the issue you brought up as well about the uh, someone identifying as another gender so that they could serve as a pastor. It just it doesn't work that way. Um, so what does the Bible teach? What are some more specifics that it teaches us about gender? Yeah, so I'll just uh, bring up some simple ones that uh, are very similar, uh, but between both Testaments. First, back to Genesis 5, 1 through 2. 
uh, it says in 5, 1 through 2, it says, And this is the book of generations of Adam, and God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. So this is the likeness of God, then explained in verse 2. Male and female, he created them. And he blessed them uh, and named them uh, man when they were created. So to be man is to be male or female. And Jesus, like sometimes Jesus is, is kind of dichotomized against the Old Testament. But Jesus himself showed that but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer one, two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so I'm going to get like, I think when he brings up the one flesh, I think he's actually being pretty literal there. And I think that God's creation of the two genders is literally shown in the fact that our, you know, our parts are designed in such a way that we literally in marriage become, in a sense, one flesh. And that's, you know, two parts into one. It's not, you know, 17 into whatever happens to be a combination we make it into. And I don't mean to be callous No, that. but I mean, 17 can't self-identify as one or two. Um, yeah, I mean, th- those are some good points to bring out. Uh, I mean, and you said it a minute ago that God created it and saw that it was good. And then at the end of his creative work, he, he saw it and it was – he said it is very good. Yeah. So it's God's gift to us, th- this gendered life that we have. Um, it's also part of the fallen order now. The, the gender was there before the fall, and it's also subject to the fall now. And so we can use our gender to sin. We can also use our gender to love and to use it in distinctive ways. And so, I mean, those are just drawing really big level abstractions about it. But the Bible just assumes from the outset, from page one, that God made us male and female. That, that yeah. to be made, as you said it, to be made in the image of God is to be male or female. Um, now, Tony, what's the difference between a man and a woman? This is actually kind of a hard question. Um, I mean, I've heard John Piper pose this, like if a little child was asking their their mom, like, "Oh, mm-hmm. mom, what's the difference between you and dad? Like, what does it mean to be a woman versus being a man?" Um, and it's a good question to ponder. Uh, is is this just a matter of biology, or is there more to being a man and male versus a, a woman and female? Yeah. I've got a lot of thoughts on this, but I'm actually curious first what your thoughts are, what you have to say on this. Whew. Yeah, this – this is one of those – it's almost you know where angels fear to tread, trying to exactly define what this looks like and trying to take myself out of my cultural conditioning enough. Um, I mean all of us know we have cultural assumptions and biases and that kind of thing and to try to step away from that. I will say I, I follow close – pretty closely uh, the things that John Piper has said about this. Um, he's put it, I'm looking at some stuff on my desk here, but one of the things is what's the difference is a little booklet where he defined, distills some stuff he put in a, in a bigger form. Uh, but then a man bears God's image with a bent or a disposition towards assuming responsibility to provide and to protect and to lead and, and recognizes as well that he is different than a woman, um, and then a woman bears God's image with a bent or a disposition 
towards nurturing and caring and strengthening. Uh, it's not all just you know weak or something. I mean, the woman is referred to uh, <clears throat> as a, ho- a helper suitable to the man in Genesis one. Uh, the same term is used of God Himself. Um, or it, it's like a, he's like a lifesaver to he is a helper to whoever it is. So it's not necessarily this uh, you know damsel in distress. This is can be a, a strong thing, uh, but nurturing, caring, strengthening, and, and recognizing also that she is different than a man. Now I know there's a lot more that could be said, um, but so what do you? How do you size it up? I try to be really careful with this because I think, honestly, some complementarianism, uh, which is a big word for people that believe that they're two genders and believe that, you know, they're distinct roles. I think some complementarianism, not all by any stretch, but a lot of it can be sexism, to be frank, uh, rather than complementarianism. And I'm even disappointed by some uh, statements from some leading complementarians today uh, that goes well beyond scripture. Uh, but I think I, I think we can definitively say the vast majority of men are physically stronger and larger. Uh, and I think that is just how God created them. That Again, there are obviously exceptions, but the exceptions are so noticeable uh, that they stick out in our minds. I mean, if you when I go the Y to the gym and you look at the uh, they post records for like weightlifting things and <laughs> for swimming and they're all the record for men are substantially uh, better in terms of how we measure those things than they are for the woman. And that's not because like they're promoting sexism. That's just in that's just in fact how men and women are different. Uh, but that's why men. That's why women can't and shouldn't play in the NFL. Yeah, it just exactly. Work. So, and it's weird that that seems like offensive today. <laughs> it's just strange. But women, that being said, women tend to be more naturally skilled with every kind of language. So, one, I mean, there's a lot of evidence that women pick up second languages and things like that better. Uh, They often speak earlier. Uh, And there's even evidence that women are substantially better at picking up, like, uh, body body language and nonverbal cues. Uh, which is not like saying like, oh, you know, they can chat with their girlfriends better, but legitimately they exceed men in the area of language and human language, which is important. And I think that needs to be acknowledged every bit alongside the aspect that men tend to be physically uh, bigger. Uh, Even the anatomy in sex shows a difference in God's design. You know, even you know, the, the objects that we have, I think it shows like the nature of how, how sexual relations work, I think assume a kind of dynamic in the bedroom, assume a dynamic in relationship where it wouldn't work if uh, a gender relationship in that sense was not interplayed. Uh, but I think the differences fit God creating one gender to be superior for physical labor and the other for relational activities. But that being said, I want to add definitively our economy has changed substantially from the Garden of Eden, uh, and these differences have less social impact now. The reality is, you know, very few people are farmers, and even farmers, you know, a woman is every bit as capable of operating a giant machine as a man might be. Uh, You know, she might not be as capable of using an old school tiller, but she's, you know, Everybody is capable of using some things. So I think some of these differences have less of an impact on the economy today than they would have in, you know, in a society prior to technology. 
But I strongly also disagree with woman being more more kind of emotional or more inferior or less uh, valued. I I think that idea of woman being, you know, this tied to emotions in a way that men are or women are inferior is, you know, you can bring examples, but you can't prove that. And uh, and I think that's not something that the Bible teaches. Uh, And God does, I think, give some real gender roles in the church and in the home. You know, I think God calls only men to be pastors. I think we've talked about that before. But I think all of these kind of differences in roles in the home and in the church are almost entirely because of typology, as in they point to the relationship between Christ and his church, and not because of the biology of the man and the woman. So I've clearly got a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, and, and it's a complicated thing to answer. And I, I mean, you went on the biological end a lot, and there are obvious differences. Um, I think we would both agree, you know, that we are more than just the sum of our, our parts. And, uh, and just, you watch children interact and play and, um, boys and girls interact differently. Yep. And I mean, I've seen that we both have two daughters and one son and the way my son plays even just by himself is now some would say, oh, that's because he's been conditioned to do that. Well, maybe there's a level of that, but I see him just playing by himself. And I mean, I don't really play with <clears throat> action figures and stuff. So it's not like he observes me playing with action figures. I, just recently, he asked me to hear, dad, do you, do you take this and have him talk and stuff? Um, I mean, I play with my son, but that was just something we had not specific behavior we had not done and he's got the guy and you know crashing him into things and just more violent actions um than my daughters do when they play with you know dolls or barbies or play how yeah people that deny basic differences between male and female how much time have you spent around children yeah um i mean just because they they do they're just different um and even process information differently um, as adults. So how can parents work to raise boys into men and girls into women? And how much does the cultural influence that? You've mentioned how the cultural the cultural assumptions and things often feed into how we view uh, male and female or masculine and feminine. Um, how do we take that in consideration as we're trying to raise boys that are men and, and girls that are women and not just sort of, you know, these androgynous people yeah that's a good question before i answer it actually some of your points brought up something to my mind uh that i think show how these kind of relationship dynamics are are entwined in our dna when i was a um when i towards the end of high school i went on a mission trip to mexico a poor part of mexico and there was this orphanage that was um uh for it was like exclusively native, like native Mexicans, uh, and uh, the and we went there and we did to serve one day, and they like uh, we had brought some like clay or something like that for them to play with, and that we were told to bring, and the boys all turned it into like into like toy guns and like they were like bad guy versus good guy type deal you know and saving the day and everything and the uh and it was scolded by the people that were running the uh that were running the orphanage and it explained that you know we we don't allow this behavior we don't expose them to anything you know that like this but for some reason the boys are the only ones who do this oh act like this and like ah uh, who to think you know <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I think that's a great example that, yeah. you know, 
that by chance they happen to do that kind of thing. Make one into like weapons and, you know, play good guy versus bad guy. So, well, but to answer your actual question, I think we teach our unique designs must be used for serving others. Uh, which is really important because otherwise, you know, we might have even in kids, the coo- boys have girls have cooties, you know, the boys are a gross type deal. Our unique design is good because God gave us these different attributes so that we could serve one another and glorify him together. Uh, and I think that we teach our kids to both boys and girls to glorify the wisdom of their maker. And that's, I think, an important aspect in how we raise boys into men and, and girls into women is teaching them that God was wise and good when he made you into what you are. Uh, and I think that we should have them embrace n- neutral aspects of cultural uh, masculinity, femininity to some degree. So, like, I don't think that there's anything biblical or biological in that, uh, you know, women wear diamond, re- diamond engagement rings, uh, you know, whereas men just mm-hmm. wear kind of the gold bands. But I think sometimes practicing these things that are symbols in our culture can be a good thing or even different hairstyles. And I think because that can show that there's beauty and distinctiveness and the distinctiveness between man and woman. But I would also be careful with pigeonholing gender and realize that we are more uh, more the same, especially for single people. You know, the reality is I think the differences between a single uh, man and a single woman are far less than that. The similarities are far greater than their differences. And it's again, this is like the question before. It can be a tricky thing because so much of how we view it is influenced by our culture, and cultures differ on this. I read that the they're called the Warani, but they were kind of pejoratively called the Aka Indians who killed uh, Jim Elliot and the the other missionaries that he was working with down in Ecuador in the 1950s. That it was considered very masculine to like decorate the tree hut. Now, I don't know if they were decorating it with, you know, animals they had killed or people. I, I mean, because they were, you know, very, very violent culture. Um, but it was it was considered masculine to sort of come up with poems and decorate the tree hut. And women would do some of the more farming kind of things, if I, if I remember right. It's been a while since I've read that. Um, but that was unique to that group of people. And then here in America, you know, men composing poetry is often not seen as the most manly thing. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with it. It's just, you know, the things that our culture tends to prize is more a guy grabbing a pigskin and running hard and other people trying to knock him over um, or carrying big guns and blowing stuff up or, you know, whatever. So I, mean, I think we want to be aware of the culture. You mentioned the things, the kind of the neutral aspects of the culture. It's things that are uh, just people tend to recognize little girls often wear bows in their hair, whereas little boys never wear bows in their hair um, unless they're trying to act like a girl. And I mean, you've, yeah. I'm sure you've seen this kind of thing where parents allow their little boy to dress in dresses and, you know, this kind of thing. But just some of those kinds of of activities, um, just being aware of those. But we want to try to cultivate what is masculine, what is feminine, and uh, like you said, to to glorify their maker and his wisdom. 
and just helping them. You being a boy or you being a girl is a good thing. And it's amazing to me just having children of both genders, um, how they naturally gravitate and identify with the parent of the same gender. And, you know, I mean, my son, and because he's the, the youngest one, I mean, it's, it's, he's the last one to the party. And so just observing this, and he's only three. Um, but seeing, like, he, he knows that he's a boy like daddy. And the kinds of things, if, if I'm trying to, and trying is the operative word, <laughs> trying to fix something, you know, he wants to sit right there and he wants to hold a screwdriver and, and do these kinds of things. Whereas he's, he'll help my wife in the kitchen some if she's making muffins or something, but he's much more inclined to come do some activity, you know, like that with me. Um, and so I, mean, I encourage that just that he wants to spend time with me and there's nothing inherently masculine about being able to fix something. Um, honestly, early on, it's just a moment of humility. Early in our marriage, my wife could fix stuff better than I could. Now, thankfully, I've improved, but yeah, just kids pick up on that. And so I think we need to be sensitive to that and, and invite them into those kind of activities um, and, and model what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman uh, for our children and do that well. So, Tony, how can the church support parents in their efforts towards this? I think we should celebrate God's creation of gender in all of our ministries, I, I think should be an important thing that, you know, I, we often don't talk that much actually about gender in children and youth ministries. Maybe we talk about it like when we're talking about marriage, but we don't talk about the beauty of there being two genders in a way that I think allows people to see this as just kind of curmudgeon thing. I, I think that we should provide uh, people resources on this uh, very hard topic. I think there are some excellent resources uh, out there, and uh, including one of my favorites, God and the Transgender Debate by Andrew T. Walker. And uh, I, I maybe provide parents with that resource. I mean, give it away one Sunday. Uh, I think also we provide models as they grow of godly manhood and womanhood. Uh, and maybe that means that, you know, a churches can encourage people to, you know, uh, set up people as an example of a godly manhood and godly womanhood and set up mentors within the church, a mentor for some of the guys, a mentor for some of the girls, not of stereotypes, but of a godly man or woman that is utilizing the aspects of how they're created unique for the glory of God. Those are good, you think, good tips. Yeah, I think just teaching about it clearly, even having some kind of special class about a session um, for the parents, but then, like you said, teaching children and youth about it. That, that is something that is often not mentioned a whole lot. Um, it's just sort of assumed. I think we talked about the the church one time, and we noted – we I think we'd both heard a, a podcast that Nine Marks did, and they noted in there how often – there's not a lot of teaching to the church about what it means to be a church because it seems self-evident. It's like, well, yeah, you are that, so why do we need to talk about it? And it's sort of like, well, you are a boy or you are a girl, and so why do we need to talk about it? Yeah. But it, it confusion abounds so much culturally, and cultural assumptions have shifted dramatically. And so you've got parents that weren't uh, well-taught or weren't brought up in the church, they come to faith in Christ, and the kind of assumptions they have, um, they're not thinking in biblical categories. I think it's very important that we do teach it well. 
and clearly. And like you said, that the, the there are those in the the complementarian movement that it is more could be more sexist. Uh, that's not to say that everybody there is falling into that. Um, because and, and and even within that movement, there are differences of opinion on how far some of those kinds of things extend. Is this just the home and the church, or is this the whole society? Um, but that that's another discussion. So, Tony, why is it important for parents and churches to affirm and to celebrate God's good gift of gender? Yeah, this is a this is an important question. And uh, something that I think we really need to navigate. And I want to say, first off, I think it's important because our world is coming, ironically, to see women as inferior men in a lot of ways. And this might sound really weird, but actually, I remember, uh, and this has been the case for a long time, uh, decades ago, there was a famous uh, famous tennis match. Have you heard of the Battle of the Sexes? Yeah, this is Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, Billie Jean King versus Bobby Riggs. And it was kind of a challenge, you know, that anything you can do, I can do better. I can do anything better than you type deal. And, you know, who's going to win out, man or woman? And it was like almost everyone criticized it, like that was serious, criticized as a joke because the uh, it was ultimately a challenge between uh, one of the, uh, the reti- basically retired uh, a player that tennis player that had not been way out of shape and didn't prep versus the top woman tennis player in the world, and and the fact that it was even competitive, like was a statement. And then you know there actually was a, a another match similar to that where it was closer to you know people that were in their prime, and and the man actually destroyed the woman. It wasn't even close. And the a problem with that is the. Uh, is our world when we see that uh, when we try to see the genders as not related to biology, as not rooted in biology, that you know we are also a world that values being faster, stronger, being you know that more aggressive. We don't value mm-hmm. things that are mm-hmm. uniquely feminine. So really, in the battle of the sexes, then a woman is an inferior man, and I actually honestly think that our world, if we continue on this path. And how we're approaching uh, that uh, uh, approaching gender, we are going to substantially push back women's rights movements because of this. Uh, all we'll just determine that women are inferior men, and I think that we'd actually show that God values all experiences of human equality, uh, of all human experiences equally, when we pattern and celebrate God's good gift of gender, rather than kind of seeing it as one. Competed, competing thing or 18,000 things. Uh, that's a good insight. I like that. That Yes, there is this drive for women. And I think women feel this pull. Uh, I've read about it and just talking to women, they feel like they have to do everything. They have to ex- uh, excel in their profession and climb up the ranks and prove that they're just as competent as men, if not more so. Uh, they also have to be super mom, you know, and there was that, I don't remember, time, or one of those magazines uh, a handful of years ago with the lady nursing her kid on the front page or on the, on the cover uh, that sparked a lot of conversation and just, you know, having the kids sleep with them and all this kind of thing. you got to always be there for the child, but that gets very exhausting if, if you're working this demanding high 
pressure job as well as being there and attentive to the child. There is this push towards masculinity. It's at the same time, though, we are undermining masculinity in other ways. We're telling men not to act like men in ways. Um, and some of that maybe is is well spoken at a good time, but I th- some of that I think is misfounded. And so there's we're just confused as a culture. Um, and so it just leads to, to all kind of issues. Um, you know, the, I mean, really the health of families is at stake if, if – people aren't clear on what it means to be a man or a woman and people are trying to assume one or the other role. Um, people's mental and emotional health. I mean, we talked about that a few minutes ago with the LGBTQ plus community and transgender people and, and the research that's out there for that doesn't get as you know, publicized as widely because it, it, you know, undercuts the, the loud drumbeat of, of the cultural pressure right now. Um, I mean, really, the, the health of society uh, holding together well, and the health of the church. And really, I mean, it gets down to the spread of the gospel and the planning of churches. Um, I mean, it's there's a lot at stake on something as so basic as raising boys to be uh, men and girls to be women. It's, uh, seeing that as a good gift of God and how that ties to our mission to make disciples of Jesus. So, Tony, when your child or your teen comes home and they're talking about some person who's changing their gender or now they're identifying as some new gender or two spirits or one of the options out there, how should you respond? So I think you should teach them to expect sinners to sin, uh, which is an important thing. Uh, as in like, you know, the we shouldn't be shocked when sinners sin. I think the church is way too often scandalized by the sin of the world around us. And we should love them when they when they do sin. And we should actually be more bothered by the sin that's within the church and the sin within our own hearts. I think that's the first important thing. It might seem unrelated, but I think it is imperative. Uh, and I think then we show them failure to appreciate God's creation isn't something that is just, you know, cute, but it's a tragedy. It's a, as a great disappointment. And it's something that we should feel bad for that person, that they can't appreciate the goodness of God in this world. Uh, and I think we then point out after that the foolishness of our culture's ideas of gender versus God's. Uh, because, you know, I think so much of our idea and our culture of gender is dangerous, and we can point out what God has said about it. Because God hasn't said about gender, you know, guys are the ones that watch football while, while the ladies uh, watch the kids. Right. Yeah, I, I, those are some good points. I think it just invites an opportunity for an important conversation or conversations to ask them questions. Well, you know, what do you think about that? Why do you think this person is doing this? And, you know, what do you think God, how does he see that? And an opportunity to look at scripture together and just consider uh, God's purposes. And so uh, it just it, opportunity to dig into that some. So it's kind of going a step further. How would you help a parent with a child who's struggling with gender dysphoria? Um, what kind of things should they keep in mind? Yeah, I think the, th- the most important thing to say about this is a child who's struggling with gender dysphoria, maybe a young adult child or, t- or a teen child, probably their most pressing need is to know Jesus 
and uh, the most pressing need is not to get this right. Uh, I know of so many cases where people have disastrously gotten the order in this wrong, where we've tried to fix somebody's gender identity first and then maybe give them Jesus, and that is just wrong. And that doesn't actually help them deal with the hard issues behind behind things. So I think we should show empathy to this undeniable pain. Because, I mean, the reality is that if your child, if your loved one, if your parent is going through this, this is a pain that very few of us have experienced, that very few of us can even understand to not feel right in your own body. But then after that, we kindly rebuke uh, the wrong idea that we've talked about theology, the kind of Gnosticism that is in this, which separates body from spirit, which I think there's a lot of Gnosticism in a denial of a, a, a biological understanding of sex and gender. And then we actually, I think, also can even point out their hypocrisy in hopes of bringing them to truth. Because actually, I think the transgender movement is often overwhelmingly sexist. Uh, when you navigate this, I think that under under a lot of those who struggle with it, there's a significant degree of sexism where they see, you know, that having that that having, you know, this over the top, you know, almost like call girl outfit is what it means to be feminine uh, or, mm-hmm. you know, having this like the uh, insanely, you know, rugged persona is what it means to be masculine because that's sexism that's showing their uh, that they actually have a wrong idea of gender hmm. those I, I really like what you said about helping them to know jesus first and you can't say in every case but i would think likely um that would be the case you know that someone is dealing with that and, and so needing to address that i think you know you don't want to go nuclear um and I think you want to listen, like you said, empathize, and trying to enter into their emotions as much as you can so that you can understand, but also to help – possibly to help them understand themselves and helping them to, to look at God's word about gender, about our sinfulness, about the effects of the fall and how it affects our thinking and our feeling and how those things can be disordered. I think, too, getting outside help and prayer support is um, – going to be really, you know, we talked about depression when we were recording earlier and something that I think you really would need help on and, and to love them, treat them with compassion and kindness and and still be the leaders in the home. And that doesn't answer every question or the the eventuality that may arise, but uh, being the father and God has has placed in the home and not assigning that, giving that responsibility off to the child, but, but you know, taking that and uh, using it, leading for their good. Um, but that's definitely an issue that requires a good deal of wisdom and of grace from the Lord. So, well, Tony, um, this is a, it was an important conversation, I think, just because our culture is so confused about it right now, and it's good for us to think about it, and uh, hope that those who listen will find it beneficial for their own families and in the churches where they're serving. So thanks for listening. Amen. And God bless. God bless. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.